Hello, everybody. You're listening to episode two of Whose Games Is This, uh, the podcast where someone plays a game they never played before, and then we uh, we talk about it, just chat it up real good, just riff on it. Uh, Getting in the riff zone. In the riff zone. On today's episode, uh, it's just two people. It's me, I'm Seth Shepard, on Twitter at ASAP Sunscreen, and the person with me today is Nathan Smith, on Twitter as uh, at Trillmore Girls, or just at Trillmore Girls. That's not my name. My name is not my name at Trillmore Girls. My handle is at Trillmore Girls. See, the thing, though, is that people do call you at Trillmore Girls. That's true. I have been identified in person by that name, by people I've not met previously. You were talking about this the other day. You were yeah. talking about how there are people that know you from your internet persona yeah, it's more than weird. real life. Yeah, no, that's, you. Uh, and when I was at the Kin Film Festival last year. Oh, just uh, dropping that you're in this, at, this at con. <laughs> This guy that I like met through Twitter, uh, who later became a pretty good pal. We knew each other on Twitter first, and he just recognized me on the street. It was just like, Trillmore Girls? And I was with a bunch of people who like knew me, but like weren't on Twitter. Oh, yeah, you, so were, they did uh, with, you were with people you just met. Yeah, and like, I mean, I knew them f- for a couple weeks, but like, they didn't follow. Then, like, I guess a lot of people aren't on Twitter. Uh, news to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, and are, so they, are they people at that point. They what are they people at that point? I don't know. Online? Maybe they're not. If you don't have an online presence, like, do you exist? You might not as well have a real presence. Yeah. But they didn't follow me on Twitter, so this guy just coming up saying my Twitter name was kind of a weird moment. Yeah. Even if it was just me alone, it was still a weird moment. But that's my name on Twitter. Okay, I thought he came up to you in this crowd of people that like kind of knew you a little bit, and no. then it just makes this weird thing where people are like, "Oh, what's your Twitter?" And then you got to like give it out. It's- well, see, I always try to give out my Twitter, but I feel like a lot of times when I give out my Twitter to a group of people, a lot of people are like, mm, "Not really on there," and I'm just like, "How?" I yeah. mean, I guess there is for a subset of people, not us, but for other people, <laughs> Twitter is dead, and it's Instagram. Like, I like there's what? this girl I know who I'm like not like friends with but i'm like acquaintances with i follow her on instagram this and is- she posted one time a picture of her and her boyfriend and let me just clarify this person is a member of greek life okay. uh, so obviously very different world from us yeah different worldview you yeah. know and she posted this picture of her and her boyfriend and was like remember when i don't know what her boyfriend's name is like adam or something like remember when adam tried to bring twitter back Ha 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 ha. And someone in the comments was like, oh yeah, guys, remember Twitter? LOL. So funny. Content doesn't exist anymore. Who needs 140 characters when you got fucking pictures? Yeah, you got a picture. That's a thousand words. And who yeah. knows how many characters that is? <laughs> and plus, you got those long text boxes. You know, yeah. you can be like the game and just go in. God, the game? Woo, post a dick pic and write a book about it. Yeah. <laughs> God. That makes no sense to me because to me, like, Twitter is the anchor point for anybody's online presence. Well, like, not even not, that, but like not even life like, in general. Yeah, well, life honestly, in general. Honestly, which is... But I'm talking like people who like make a living on the internet. Like not even yeah. their website is their center point. Even people that it's like make Twitter. a living on YouTube doing like gameplay videos yeah. and stuff. Twitter is their like where it's they the, go. the hub. The hub of yeah. everything. That it's just makes no sense to me. It's where you can get jobs at, you know. We're all into Vine. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. I haven't and been on there in like a month, honestly. Yeah, you got probably- Actually, no, I went on there last night and I saw that I had like 25 messages from you. Yeah, I just like find Vines and I send them to people. Yeah. It's great. I but appreciate- whenever people talk about Vine being dead, I kind of get that because it is dumb and I know yeah. it's not the most prominent thing, but Twitter is... Well, it's just like with Vine, there are... I don't know, I feel like every once in a while there's like a big yeah, well, cultural I mean, like because, damn, da- damn Daniel, you know. Oh my god. But, well, that's because like Twitter owns Vine and they made it right. really easily to... 
or made it real easy to post vines on Twitter. So that's the only real thing that makes Vine relevant is whenever it's tweeted. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm still about that LinkedIn and Friendster life. God. <laughs> I'm on. Uh, I'm, I'm still on Geosities. I'm still Look, find me on there. Find me on Zynga. Find me on Yahoo Answers, please. Please find my actual please old Yahoo account. My Answer Yahoo my account. Questions. Let me just say Yahoo. My Yahoo username in middle school was Weird Geek Nerd, which I think will be relevant to our conversation later about my relationship with video games. Okay, my Yahoo username was Mr. Teapot. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when I was in middle school, for some reason, I thought I was the funniest person. Because there was this weird thing in middle school where no one had seen the A-Team. The A-Team movie, like, reboot hadn't even come out yet. But Mr. T was still just this hilarious concept to us. And so I drew Mr. T features, like, like the chains and the mohawk and everything on an iPod. And called it Mr. Oh, my God. I called it Mr. Teapot, and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So I named my email after it. Mr. or Mr. Teapod at yahoo.com. I was obsessed with the uh, Yahoo avatar feature where you could like make a customizable avatar. Oh, yeah. And so mine was like, I had like the Luke Skywalker pilot jumpsuit, but also like red angel wings yeah. and like a big beard yeah. and some other weird stuff. We're going a little long here, but we'll, we'll wrangle it in a second. But one thing that I've noticed is most like games that I play, I like games that are like smaller and like more contained. Yeah. But also like, I like games where I can make my own character and that are really big, mainly just because I like customizing shit. Yeah. I no, like accessorizing. Yeah. John Michael and I uh, started doing like streams on, uh, on uh, twitch.tv slash Club. but we started doing like streams of Fallout 4 and I realized it was a little frustrating for me just because since we were like doing it as a group, I couldn't spend all the time accessorizing my character yeah. and that we had to make it move along somehow. That's one of the things too I don't really like about like first person games as much. I liked being able to see my character and like being able to be like, yeah, man, I'm a fucking cool guy. Cool guy. And I can see it and be validated. Yeah, exactly. In the coolness of my avatar. Man. You know, I'm a, I was a big RuneScape head <laughs> okay. back in the day. <laughs> we can talk about this more in a second. Anyway, yeah. today's episode, we're going to be talking about the game Journey, uh, which came out in 2012 on PlayStation 3. Nathan, what do you yeah. uh, know about the game? Well, I guess even before we get to there, since you're going to be playing it and then you're going to be talking about it later, yeah. I'd like to know personally, but also like I'm sure the listeners would like to know a little bit about where you're coming from in terms of video game experience in your life and like what you played and, and the kind of stuff you play. Um, well, like as a kid, my parents weren't super hot on video games. I mean, they're never like opposed, like strictly opposed to it, but like would not I mean obviously I did not have money to buy consoles so they like would never like buy me video game consoles so it was a lot of like playing stuff at friends houses and the games I did play were largely like computer games I played a lot of Civilization uh, a, a little bit of Roller Coaster Tycoon <laughs> uh, maybe getting a little more obscure here a little bit of Civ City Rome whoa explain uh, the concept behind that What's it's, the... it was like a Civilization knockoff but just about the city of Rome. Okay. So you just like built markets and it sounds like a uh, weird aqua- mix of aqueducts. And... It sounds like a mix of Civilization and Sim City. Yeah, basically. Like, but neither. Oh, I played Spore. Uh, like, I think the only actual com- like computer the games game? I owned: Civ Three, Civ Four, Civ Five. I own Civ City, Rome, Civilization, Colonization, 
uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon, Lego Harry Potter Creator, this like math instructional game, yeah, and then uh, Spore. Oh, and then like a bunch of the Battlefield games, like Battlefield 1942. I was really into Battlefield Vietnam, though. Okay, that was some fire. Uh, was that the one that came out like around like 2010? No, it was before then. Okay. I think, I think oh, it was I'm like think... 2007 or 8. I think you're thinking maybe... Of, of the Bad Company 2 expansion yeah, from Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, Because before then it was like... The Battlefield series was weird. Yeah. Uh, and I played a lot of games, like computer games in school, like uh, Bug Dumb. What's... What it's is... like you're a bee and you go around like fighting and stuff. And Cro-Mag Rally where it's like a caveman racing game. And then Dinotopia, which was like Bug Dumb but with dinosaurs. Oh, for the movie... Di- or for that TV show Dinotopia. No. Or maybe it wasn't called Dinotopia, but it was something like that where you're like a dinosaur with like a weird laser gun and you fight other dinosaurs, which is weirdly violent to have in a school. They had think... that and a trucking game where you... Tr- like a truck simulator but just for the state of Texas... Oh my god. So you're just driving around Texas and it was like 8-bit, like yeah. very... That's incredible. And wasn't with games like that, didn't you have to just make the whole journey in one play? You couldn't like save it? Right, right. I mean, you maybe could, but yeah, it's like you ha- it was like you were starting from somebody else's starting point each time. Oh, okay. You played it basically or like, and you'd always be at this, this like thrust into this new part of the game that you had never experienced before, which is kind of cool in a way. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. This is, like, a weird illusion to make, but it reminds me of, like, in the 20s and stuff, like, a lot of the early surrealists would go around to different movie theaters and leave the movie every time they could figure out what the plot was. (laughs) So it just kind of reminded me of that, just, like, not really, like, you know the general outline of this game, but you don't know, like, the specifics of the level or the boss. You're just, like, thrown in. So that, and then I played a lot of... I played a lot of online games, a lot of mini clip and yeah. fancy pants adventure and addicting games and <laughs> like that kind of like albino black sheep stuff and RuneScape, as I mentioned before, really huge into RuneScape from like fourth until seventh grade. Yeah. Stopped in seventh grade because they got rid of the like old trading system and that ruined it. Uh, so real RuneScape heads know Neopets and then playing lots of games at friends houses like I would strategically become friends with people so I could go to their house (laughs) and play video games one of my best friends from 4th until the end of 8th grade when I realized that he was kind of a fucking dumbass I became friends with just because I knew he had a copy of Lego Star Wars and I really wanted (laughs) to play it and I knew my parents weren't going to buy it for me so and I knew I wouldn't be able to save money for it and so I like became friends with him and so the extent of our friendship was like video games and star wars so i'd play like Nightfire, played halo with him secretly played san andreas whoa which was this like i didn't even have that he like had this i remember he had this box with the cover turned inside out and like i was staying the night at his house and his parents went to bed and he just like pulled it out <laughs> and i was like what is it and he opens it up and it's san andreas and we like turn the turn it down really low and we play it um and like the honest like and then like Star Wars games like Battlefront was really big for me and uh, probably one of the biggest games too is Guitar Hero like Guitar Hero just changed my world yeah um, and I always because I was like really invested in like nerd pride in middle school <laughs> and early high school I read a lot about video games which is why I was like familiar with Journey and yeah. knew about it even before it had come out and was always interested in playing it. Uh, I just, like, never did because I never really had consoles. Although I did, my parents did get me a Wii for Christmas in, like, ninth grade. Whoa. So I played, like, the Force Unleashed and uh, Wii Sports and 
Like up like the Ghostbusters yeah. game. Conduit. Oh, if you remember Conduit. Oh, Conduit. The we had some fucking weird games. Con- Quantum Condu- of Solace, the game. <laughs> there was the Golden Eye re release. Yep. There yep. was Mad World. There was oh, Red Steel and Red, Red Steel, Steel 2. We talk about that all the time. Yeah, Red Steel. No More Heroes. I love Red Steel. All the adult Wii games. Oh my god. When I got I got a Wii, I think, in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And like that Christmas, I just didn't know what I wanted. And so I think I just told my parents, like, what about an iPod? I don't yeah. know music. My musical knowledge all comes from like Guitar Hero and like my exactly. dad's CDs, but like I want an iPod, right? All the <laughs> kids have it. And then I went over to my friend's place before Christmas, a few weeks before. He had a Wii, and I played Wii Bowling, and I was instantly like, you know what, Dad, I changed my mind. Get me a Wii. And they were like, Seth, you fucking idiot. <laughs> so I just didn't open my present, uh, my iPod, didn't take it out of the packaging. We went to my grandparents' house, actually, over in East Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And the day after Christmas, we went to the mall, because like we got some gift cards and stuff. <laughs> we went to the East Town Mall, and they had like two GameStops there. There was one on the bottom floor and top floor. Maybe back then it was like, one was an EB Games, one was a GameStop. Yeah. But I went in the GameStop, and some dude just walking around with a Wii, and he had a GameStop logo on his shirt. And I was like, um, do you work here? Is that for sale? And he was like, yeah. So I just grabbed it from him. <laughs> I took it and then I bought Twilight Princess and that was the most frustrating experience. <laughs> Do you remember of my the life. Zelda fishing game? What? Yeah, there was a, wasn't there like a Zelda game for the Wii where it was just fishing? No. Okay, so there was fishing and like there's pretty much fishing in every Zelda game, but the standalone like really dumb uh, Zelda game you're thinking of was Link's Crossbow Training. That's right. It came with That's the zapper. Right. I bought okay. two zappers. Yeah, I loved all the like the guns. Yeah. Woo! Hot. The Wii is crazy. Um, I also feel like I should mention that even though I didn't play video games as much as most other people of my generation, I did spend a lot of time in like really seedy used video game stores, like the independently owned ones. Oh god. Where they also sell like used DVD copies of Blair Witch 2 and Fear.com and stuff. <laughs> oh my god. And you just get those people from around the community yeah. who are just they just watch And it's they also not... have like Magic the Gathering meets there and yes. stuff, you know. Like, but like all like the used game stores, locally owned places that I go to, they always just have people who just watch any movie they can. Yeah. Not that it's the one that they're interested in or that it's good. They'll just look at it and be like, I haven't seen this one. I'll buy it. Yeah. It's a, it's a dollar. You yeah. Know, like those, that, that crowd of people. God. Which I'm... I was basically that for like renting video games for the week. I was like, <laughs> anything where you get to shoot somebody, boom, I'm, I'm down. I am very yeah. down. And so I played a lot of really terrible Wii games. I think my peak Wii ownership period was there was that window of like first getting it, yeah. but I think the Christmas after I got it, I asked for like this game called Ghost Squad. Do you remember uh, that? Yeah, it was the arcade. Like, yeah, uh, they had re- it remaster. Where I lived in this just suburb in the middle of yeah. Tennessee, there was this place called Go USA Fun Park. <laughs> Where they had go-karts and like a driving range and then inside. It. it was just the dirtiest building you've yeah. ever been in. They just had arcade machines lining the walls. There's one called Ghost Squad that I thought was crazy because it had like guns that you would use in the game. But they weren't just the plastic mold pistols. They were plastic molded, like but they were like... Crisis. Yeah. Well, they were like machine guns, it looked oh, like. And man. I was like, back in middle school, I was like, this is the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. <laughs> so then I bought the zapper. I bought Ghost Squad. And then I also got Guitar Hero 3 for the Wii. Ooh. Let me tell you, Guitar Hero 3 was bit of a downturn for the franchise. Yeah, because Guitar Hero 3 was peak, but Guitar Hero 2 will always be the best. Because yeah. that was like the first one I played. That changed my relationship with music. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, before Guitar Hero 2, I only listened to like Yo-Yo Ma. Uh, and then after, I only listened to Bon Jovi. No, that's basically. the thing. And uh, yeah. 
is I remember after Guitar Hero 3 came out, everybody in my middle school youth group, all of our iPods were just songs from Guitar Hero 3. <laughs> I also think I should mention too that I'm notoriously bad at video games. Like I never finished Lego Indiana Jones because it was got too difficult for me <laughs> and I just couldn't figure it out. God. So it's incredible. Lego games are a little bit, I don't know, they can be a little bit like obtuse at times. Yeah, but it's just like been that way with me in like almost every video game I've ever yeah. attempted to play. I'm just like even easy mode. I don't know. Hand-eye coordination is not my strong suit. Earlier you were talking about like games that you played at school. I never thought about that, but games you played at school were always the weirdest things. So weird. There was one that we played at my school called Slime Soccer. It's just, it's barely two-dimensional. This game is this flash game where you're like a, a semicircle and you're just a little slime and then the other person on the other side. They're just like two characters playing at a time and the two semicircles that just move back and forth and they can jump and there's a soccer ball that you can like mm -hmm. kind of grab and aim a little bit and just shoot. It's a really small game. I don't know how to explain it, but it was like it swept my school. I spent a lot of time with uh, Mavis Beacon teaches typing. Damn. That was the game for a while. It was the jam. But I, I remember there was just like a period from like fifth until eighth grade where I was just like, everyone in school was so desperate to play games that you would go on literally like any website they would allow you to go on. So yeah. in middle school, the only website we were allowed to play games on was, uh, the Wrigley Gum what? website. So it was just all these candy themed games, like candy racing games, candy paintball. Um, played a lot of Microsoft Pinball for the same reason. Whoa. Even Microsoft, though that game is the jam. Microsoft Pinball is great. Also, uh, Lemonade Stand was a big one in yeah, my school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played a lot of games on the, uh, Post Serial website. Oh my god. The, uh, uh, like the Crest website. Yeah. Um, just played a lot of browser games. Which Actually. We should, there should be an episode in the future about, about browser, browser. I want about you, mini clip, and I want, I want to host it. Yeah, I was about to say, I want you to lead an episode on, yeah. on browser uh, flash games. One game I completely forgot about until now was one that I got in a box of Captain Crunch. It was a computer disc game. Oh my god. <laughs> and so you put the disc in, and you basically like raise a little like monster kind of and you mm -hmm. just feed it captain crunch cereal and you make it grow strong and you like race with it That's and stuff amazing. and you you can go to like there's like a skate mini game where you can just go and like skate around with it it just combined all these what happened games. to the like tie-in brand video game cottage industry of the early 2000s where where did all those jobs go? i think apps i guess yeah but that's like not as fun. It's not as also, fun. You can't get an app plug in, your in TV games. Okay, I had a little plug in joystick. My yeah. brother did. I fucking played Galaga on that. Yeah. And I had that's a Star about Wars it. one. For Whoa. like episode three. Very cartoony. Oh, played a lot of Lego.com, a lot of Harry Potter.com, Star Wars.com. Uh, StarWars.com games were crazy. Did and the you, Star Wars games on the Cartoon Network website for the Clone Wars. Did they have a Clone Wars like MMO kind of? Um, hmm, I think no, I remember that. No, just, uh, Star no, there Galaxies. was, there was a Cartoon Network MMO and I made my mom name me after a Star Wars character <laughs> in it because she was having to go through all the steps because I just like for some reason couldn't handle it. See, part of the thing for me in like my early relationship with video games that makes it difficult for me is like, I don't know, obviously like nostalgia is a very big driving force for people, but it's like, I am nostalgic over things that oftentimes literally do not exist anymore because they've been deleted or the websites just stopped working or to play it to play like bionicle game you have to have a version of flash that is a decade old yeah or you know something like that 
And it's so it's just like almost impossible yeah. for me to like relive any of these experiences at all that I had as a kid that were formative to my identity. Very formative. Yeah. So a lot of the games you're describing are, I guess, more like non-traditional right. in terms right. of them not exactly being like from, I guess, just not being just first person shooter. Yeah. Like not exactly bound to And not even like Nintendo. Yeah. Really. Or anything because the last time we did one or the last episode we did was about pokemon red yeah and that's a very like i guess like a watershed like cultural moment yeah when pokemon got introduced and everybody got kind of obsessed with that i ate the mac the mac and cheese yeah the, the pokemon, pokemon mac, and cheese. mac and cheese i watched people play pokemon games that was about it though. yeah but i don't know i feel like flash games are definitely like this moment but there's something that no one thinks about in the same way because they are kind of more in the background and they're yeah. not this pronounced thing they're just something you can find and something like you didn't have to buy yeah um i mean maybe you had to make an account yeah you know but yeah it was just like totally i don't know this glorious time the glorious the golden age you know before uh really i feel like what changed it was on like the game meat boy Oh yeah, when where that, it's like when that went retail. Yeah, exactly. Like when that went re- like because I, I remember playing the original Meat Boy on Newgrounds, and I was like, "This game is so hype!" And I've tried to play it since, and for some reason, the keyboard controls never work for me anymore. Yeah. Like when that became a retail game and a console game, that like changed it, and I think broke. May I mean there are probably other examples too. Yeah, no, I feel like Meat Boy is like really important though. Yeah, where it like changed, shifted the little game industry for lack of a better word, and now it's like now it's apps. Yeah, now, now it's, it's apps, and even apps yeah. are becoming games. Like Peggle is like a retail mm-hmm. game you can get that started out as an app. Also, did you ever play the game? I think it was like either N or N plus, where you're like a little tiny like ninja figure on a screen. You got to go like collect all these coins yes. and leave the area. Yeah. So the sequel to that, just no one has thought about that game in a while, but the sequel just came out on PlayStation uh-huh. 4 a few months ago, which is like a shit ton of levels and everything. Yes. So, I mean, I don't know. It's still yeah. like kind of happening where people well, are also, taking the Flash It also game. like exposed me to a lot of like, I don't know, internet edgelord stuff because there always be those like, I mean, obviously like, I couldn't make them, but like, most browser games are like relatively flash games are like relatively easy to make. You know, there's always there's like the one where you're just beating up the stick figure and torturing. Oh, him. what was that? I don't um, what it's called. And the same thing where it's like just you're like assassinating stick figures and mm-hmm. it's really bloody. There's this one game I remember. I was actually gonna lead into this uh, about like some of your favorite flash games, the ones you remember. But there was one that I remember called Spear Britney, mm-hmm. where it was Britney Spears pinned onto this like humongous target surrounded by like tiki torches and yeah. stuff. And then there's just a slider going like on an X axis and a Y axis, and there'd be this little arrow going back and forth. And you had to click to get it on a certain yeah. point on both of the sliders, and then it would just throw a spear at Britney Spears. Do you remember the subgenre of mini clip games that were like outdated political shoot 'em ups, like Tony Blair <laughs> versus George Bush? Remember, like, I was wondering why like, Nathan laughed that much. Is because I almost spit my water all over him. <laughs> Like and like Saddam Hussein, like yeah, I remember. Like, yeah, why are there, there always so Tony many, Blair? There's so many Tony Blair games. There were so many Flash games. I don't remember the ones about Tony Blair, but I remember there were so many about Saddam Hussein. Yeah, and then so many like Obama and McCain ones. Yeah, I don't. I that imagine after, there are not any any. Like, yeah, I was gonna say that was after I got out of it already. Yeah. But I remember there were a lot of George ones where you played as George Bush killing terrorists. Yeah, that was. <laughs> God, that was wild. There was another Flash game I remember called Spank the Monkey, 
where there's just this humongous like (laughs) (laughs) there's just an inflatable monkey on the screen and then there's just this humongous mouse cursor like a big one so you just grab the like mouse with your mouse you drag it back you try to spank the monkey as fast as you can and if you get above a certain like force level or like speed or something with your slap then rapper's delight starts playing oh my god sound like you're gonna ask me about some of my favorite flash games yeah okay uh i've got a few and it's always hard to the thing about flash games is just because there's so many it's like things that were like watershed like big things for me other people have never heard of (laughs) so one of the big ones for me there was this company i can't remember their name but they did they had two big games and they were like very crude rudimentary 3d graphics their most famous game was called Radical Aces, and it was like a, a fighter pilot game on Mars, and you had to like fight aliens. Very simple, you're just flying this jet. It was kind of difficult. The, but my favorite game of theirs was called Need for Madness, and it was a racing game where you were also in kind of a Martian desert landscape. And I've tried to find it to play it, but it's one of those things where it's like you have to have a really outdated version of Flash. Yeah. Uh, and so you could get like really fast, tiny cars or like big trucks. I loved the Commando games on Miniclip. Commando? Commando. Well, it was just like you're like this World War II Commando. Maybe probably like 16-bit arcade style. Like you're just killing Nazis. Yeah. Heli Attack, which was similar. Basically the same thing, but with a helicopter. You're just like blowing up trucks and (laughs) shooting planes. Like it's one of those games where you're just always going forward. Yeah without end uh and similar to that big fan of the games where you just the scrolling games where you just go forward forever uh there's a game called oh, like infinite runners yeah like okay. a, yeah like uh leo steel where similar like rudimentary graphics where you're just in a mayan or aztec temple and you just run and jump over things for some reason i just got addicted to it fancy pants the fancy pants adventure games what is that uh, you're this stick dude with orange pants and wild hair, and you just like run. oh wait you I do, do like crazy jumps and like it's basically like parkour but in mm. this fantasy world. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. I was really big into. There was a Flash version of Portal. Yep, that I, I played because I couldn't get the actual Portal. Yeah, really. I guess this is more like middle school. Earlier than that, I was really big into the this Cartoon Network Clone Wars game where it was just like a you just shoot stuff. I don't know. And the Lego... Two Lego games specifically. Like, Actually, no. Four Lego games specifically. Okay. This one where you're racing inside of a toy store and you just drive around and do tricks. There's no point to it. You just was work. it a computer game or was it an online game? It was an online game. Okay. You just race inside of a toy store. Another one where you're a... Uh, okay, I thought of another one. Sorry. Okay, two five Lego games? Two spying games. One rudimentary early 3D graphics. You're driving around. You're this little, you control this little spy car that's very tiny and has a camera. And you're driving around this Eastern European town <laughs> trying to take pictures, follow spies and informants and take pictures of them. Really difficult. Like really yeah. kind of dark. Also, there was one where you played a hacker and you had to like hack into these fictional companies it was kind of cyberpunk but it was very simple the lego backlot game where you were just on the back of a movie studio like collecting items and stuff and the the legend of mata nui online game the bionicle where you're just going through the world of bionicle getting ore and shining stones and doing stuff amazing games amazing time for games i just remember lego had some crazy games back in the day there was one i can't remember 
what the Lego set was, but they had like this Lego rock drilling. On yeah, the Rock Raiders. Rock Raiders. I think. Did you play the Rock Rider- Raiders game? Uh, I it was like a console game, right? Yeah, it was a console. Well, no, it was a uh, a PC game. It was right, kind of right, like right. Age of Empires, where like you'd set up your settlement and then you go explore these caves and like mine and stuff. Yeah, that game top tier. That game was crazy. Um, I'm I trying. Guess- there's another one. There was a Lego like beach game lego beach it was like not called lego beach but it was like it was like a lego sorry i've got to do some detective work no you're good um i know i remember some flash games there were a lot of sniper flash games yep yep there was one that i played where like you get the file and it says lego like, island lego do you island? remember this game i think i had it um this game yeah okay i own lego island i actually got it and lego creator to... lego creator was the shit Oh my god. I think I got Lego Island for my birthday when it, I was like five. And I got it the same birthday I got the Digimon movie. <laughs> best <laughs> but, birthday ever. No, actually, the best thing about this birthday is that like I got it for my PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. And so everybody at our house like went outside and I demanded to stay inside after we opened presents so I could play <laughs> Lego Island. All the parents just sat oh inside. And I was so bad at this game because you play this pizza delivery boy who just skates around. But I was so bad at it that the camera was just like jarring all <laughs> over the place. And the parents were like, oh, this is a... Uh, they're trying to say like this is disorienting and going to make me sick without saying, wow, Seth. You're horrible. <laughs> Fuck you, you five-year-old. <laughs> God, it was incredible. It seems like your your knowledge of Flash games kind of does feed into the people that made Journey a little bit, though. Yeah, because probably so. that game company, I mean, their games, obviously not Journey, or even what they made before Journey, aren't exactly like Flash games. But the very first game they made was called Flow, and it's kind of like a Flash game in the fact that you're like this organism in the water or something like that. I don't know. It uses like motion controls in the controller. And what you do is that you'll just kind of go around and you just float around and consume other objects. It's kind of like snake, but in you're not confined to just two axes of movement. And so you'll just go around and consume things. And then on each level, there's a blue orb and a red orb. And if you eat, I think the blue orb, you'll dive forward in the screen because the whole thing's two dimensional, but all these levels are kind of layered on top of mm-hmm. each other. So if you eat the blue orb, you'll like go through the floor of the level into the next one. I don't know. It's a really weird game, but it's kind of like a flash game and just there's just like a, yeah, yeah, there's a very simple yeah. premise. I think it's a lot of people classify like that game and even like some of their other games as like relax them up, where it's just kind of like mindless. You sit back and just kind of relax them up. Yeah, <laughs> you relax them up. But I feel like your kind of knowledge and that base you have with flash games does definitely feed in in a weird way to that game company which is now like one of the more acclaimed game developers working now and one of the more exciting ones but what do you know about the game journey because you mentioned that you know a little bit about it because you used to like follow video games and at least read read about them yeah um i i guess i know there's like the central kind of premise you're walking around in the desert there's music stuff and wind, you've got a cloak. Again, for once in a while, <laughs> yeah. you meet people and you can't talk to them. You just kind of like right. you're just walking through the desert, basically. Yeah, that's that's like you sounds know. like me describing Journey after playing it several times. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Yeah, is, is there anything else I need to be aware of? I don't think so. We're diving in. Oh, uh, there is no soundtrack by Journey. Yeah, unfortunately. the band Journey. Unfortunately, Journey didn't soundtrack it. Yeah. They did do this thing though, where they um, they're 
touring the game as like a live event yeah. called Journey Live where they have a live band orchestrating it as like a player plays and they have different cues and stuff. And I was still pretty upset that they did not get Journey as the live band for it. But I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. You just can never stop believing though. Just don't give up on it. I'm cutting this out of the podcast. Nathan, no. go play Journey. We'll come <laughs> back in a second. Bye. We're back. Part two. Back in the studio on him. Back in the lab. Back in the lab, cooking up. So Nathan, you played Journey. I did play Journey. You played the whole thing. Had so a you journey. Should, you had a journey. Yeah. Uh physical journey emotional journey i don't know uh but so the usual format for this is where someone will will kind of play a sample section of a game just two hours three hours to get a feel for it but journey's so short that you just played the whole thing right yep so this is a really broad question but i guess what did you think of it uh i really enjoyed it i think it was a good game for someone like me who is not that great at just conventional video game challenges and mechanics because um, even in the simplest video games for me, um, there will always be points where I'm like, I don't know how to jump from one place to the other, and I'm probably doing that, going about it in the most counterintuitive way possible. And there were some moments, particularly later in Journey, that kind of got into that territory, but for the most part, it was just like, um, I don't know, pretty, I don't want to say easy because that makes it sound yeah. like the game's not worthwhile but you just kind of like figure things out yeah. and i also really like the feature of having other online players who you don't really communicate with but who can help you because uh, early on in, in the game i kind of stumbled on this person who's obviously way more experienced with me than me and i just followed them around for a while and i didn't even really know what i was doing or anything but they just led me around and helped me through a lot of the game much faster than i would have uh, gotten through it otherwise so i i mean at one point they did leave me because i couldn't i just like was not really knowing what to do and they just got seemed to get frustrated and they just left so i had to figure out everything else from that point by myself yeah um and so later when i met up with another person who was about at my same level and so who didn't really provide much help. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I don't know, and it was it was just overall the experience was really unlike anything I've ever had with a video game before where I'm like feeling an emotion that's not just like, I don't know, really I feel like the only emotion I can connect with most video games is just nostalgia. Like, oh, I played this game as a kid. Wow, childhood, you know, feelings about that. But this was like, there was something else just like stirring in me, I felt like. Um, a lot of it probably had to do with the music. I mean, really the only other thing that I can think of that ever happened to me like that was the uh, very first time I actually played Civilization IV. Um, and background, I had had the game for a long time, but the computer my parents had was too old and so it wouldn't, it wouldn't really operate like I could play it but it was just super slow and so I just gave up on trying to play it and then my parents got a new computer about a year and a half later and finally I was able to play Civilization 4 and so I finally I install it and I'm about to play for the first time go to the loading screen and there's this theme for the game that's like in some African language the song's called like Baba Yetu and it's just this like choir like chanting like and I just got super emotional like 8th grade sitting there 
listening to the loading menu theme for Civilization Four. That's really the only thing I can like, compare the experience yeah. and the feeling of Journey to. Okay. So you talked about a lot of things there. Yep, I did. I guess no, that's fine. That's fine. I think. One of the questions I was going to follow up with that I think you talked about a lot of things was, I guess, what made what aspect of the game made like the biggest impression on you when you first started it up? Mm-hmm. You remember like when you first started playing, what your approach to it was or what your mindset was, and how did that change throughout the the game as you got used to it? Um, well, I guess at first, one of the things that kind of changed throughout the game for me was when I first um, started playing. I mean. There is, you know, there are things you have to do in the game, but you can very much kind of go about it your own way and at your own pace and just, like, I don't know, very, very in a literal sense, a sandbox game because you're in the desert yeah. and walking around the sand. So you can just kind of, like, walk around, figure out the world, go at your own pace, um, and you can go quickly through things like I started to do when I found this more experienced player. Or you can just kind of wander around. Um, and you, I don't know, just figuring out how to interact with the environment. Because it shows you, in a very simple way, the controls you need, which there aren't very many. I mean, mm-hmm. you walk, you jump. You, you look. You look. You use a little, like, sound wave. Yeah, thing. you make a little note. Yeah. Like a Close Encounters of the Third Kind communication thing. Uh, and that's about it. And that just very vague outline like it has the fundamentals of really any video game but really in the vaguest mm-hmm. most rough sketch possible kind of you know there's no big tutorial there aren't all these things you have to do yeah. and I really like the way of how you engage with your physical environment um, I mean that does change I think a little bit as you get further and further into the game it does kind of start to rely a little bit more on conventional just mechanics and ju- you know jumping becomes more important and it's like yeah. there are specific things you have to do and so that part of the game once you change from the desert to this like snowy terrain that part started to get frustrating for me um, but before just the uh, this very kind of vague impression like it's like an impressionistic kind of video game mm-hmm. Um, where everything's just very loose and floating. Uh, that made a big impression on me. And the music, too. I think the music is a really big part of the experience. Yeah. And obviously the only way you can really communicate is kind of through music and through just, like, generating these chirps yeah. and melodic sound effects. Um, but that was that was really kind of what made the biggest impression on me, I guess. So that's another thing I was going to talk about, is the way that it kind of, like it teaches you how to play mm-hmm. without this big tutorial. And basically the game, since it has no real written language except for whenever a diagram of the controller will come up at the beginning and say, push this button, right. has about a few of those, but there's no actual language. The narrative that is there is communicated without language. The game is almost 100% just kind of an, uh, kind of an exercise in just game design. Right and making it very natural, where your eye is naturally guided to like different things just in the desert, just because nothing's there. And that's kind of explained in the narrative as well. But the way that the game introduces you to these mechanics and makes different things 
feel good, different things with these different like feedback loops kind of uh, feel bad and it doesn't reward you for doing certain things. Um, and also the way that the controls and the gameplay kind of change as you move through these different sections mm -hmm. of the game. And that also communicates narrative, I think, as well, right. where you're slowly learning about this civilization that existed but doesn't anymore. And as you go through like kind of the ruins of the civilization, the gameplay gets a little bit more challenging and you learn different mechanics and stuff like that. It feels very much to me like a game that's not instructive, but more you're just learning. You yeah. know, it's like the old axiom about education that it's not filling a bucket, it's lighting a flame. And I feel like Journey is very much more the lighting a flame, yeah. like, kind of, you you know, it, like you said, it does show you the controls, but it's not like, do this, now do this, that's the game, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you just kind of figure it out, and you're just kind of stumbling around, walking through the desert, and then you see a thing in the distance, and you're like, I guess I need to go to that, Yeah. I don't know for sure, I could probably go in another direction, but um, you just kind of feel it out for yourself. And I really like that because, I don't know, I mean, it's nice when you're playing a video game to know what to do, but tutorials just get so frustrating. And That's part of the reason that I like games that are more simplified, more narrative-based, right. less gameplay-oriented, just because games that have all these incredibly complex systems of statistics and numbers and like timed attacks and everything the tutorials can sometimes take an hour and it's just so yeah. much thrown at you at once and i really really one of my least favorite things about video games is i am just terrible at like button combos mm -hmm. and stuff and that's like i'm the worst smash player of probably of all time because i can just never get things to work like I'm and I'm also really like we rented once uh, the WWE game and that was the only thing that was fun about that was the character creator because yeah. when we actually sat down to play the game it's like oh you have to press all these buttons at the same time and I just can't do that like yeah. my my reflexes are generally pretty bad my hand eye coordination is pretty bad yeah. um, the only so that doesn't so just to have these very simple controls works a lot better for me yeah and you were talking also about kind of the emotion that mm -hmm. the game evoked. And a lot of times video games will fall back on just evoking this emotion of power. Or maybe it's not an emotion, but more of just a, a feeling and I guess the fantasy of power. Where they'll have either you like have a gun so you inherently have power over somebody. Or um, just you get stronger and you're able to do more things throughout the game. Right. But I guess really the only emotion... Or anything, it's kind of hard to put words to it, but I guess the only emotion that I could associate with Journey is one of maybe exploration or learning. Yeah. Because it feels very naturalistic, and it's obviously guided the way that you go through the game and the way that you explore the environment, even though it does feel organic and like mm -hmm. you're doing it. But I think the reason I like Journey a lot is because as you play it, it does feel like you're learning as you go instead of just being shown things right. or just being told, hey, press this, do this here. I think, um, I don't know, I, I like that it's an, very much an environmental game. And, like, I know that you're really big on kind of on 
I don't know, experiments in narrative and, and gaming. And this is very much a narrative game, you know, and it's basically the Joseph Campbell hero's journey. But mm-hmm. like you said this earlier after I, after I finished playing the game, that just, but just in the loosest, vaguest way possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a narrative, but the narrative is really reflected in the game design itself and in the environment because it's kind of this almost... This is maybe a weird comparison, but okay. almost like a like a, I feel like the structure kind of uh, of inherent vice or something, okay. where you're just a, kind of thrust into this world where there's a larger system and picture around you, but you as the viewer are never outside of it. Mm-hmm. You're in it, so you get this feeling of conspiracy and paranoia because you are literally inside of this, yeah. and you don't ever really understand what's going on. And this game isn't about paranoia and conspiracy. You know, it's about like wonder and awe, but it's because you're so small and everything else is so big. And obviously the game doesn't, you know, the world of the game doesn't go on infinitely forever, but it feels like it could. Mm -hmm. Um, And you never, you know, like bump up against an invisible wall really or anything that limits you. Um, And so I really like that the narrative of the game and that vague storytelling is reflected in the game design itself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm a really big movie person. And so I really like, I really like when movies communicate their narrative visually and when the visuals and the narrative are on equal ground and I feel like Journey is that just with with the environment of the video game um, and you're just kind of you never really get the full gist necessarily of what happened with this civilization uh, to me it feels like the poem Ozymandias like it's just like things crumbling in the dust. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know ever exactly what happened. You don't really know exactly who your character is. Um, but I feel like but, that's that's kind of intentional. Because right. the story's all communicated through... Uh, there's these cutscenes, kind of yeah. uh, these murals that you find. So you know that there's something greater going on, but you do kind of assume maybe the, the, the role of like an underdog or just like an unassuming mm-hmm. hero where... This person feels unimportant because you don't see the big picture and you're just kind of going and you're never told exactly why you're there or what your purpose is. It kind of reminded me in a way of uh, what's the Cool Games game design podcast? Oh, Cool Games Inc. Yeah. Um, well, I listened to like two episodes of that and on one of the episodes they talked about a, they came up with the idea for a game where. Um, it's totally like it's on your TV screen and totally flat and uh, your character is just one pixel so you're going through this entire world of thousands and thousands of pixels slowly just moving across the flat surface of the screen and obviously uh, Journey has a really good sense of dimensionality to it so it's not like that but it feels to me like that same kind of thing where you're just this small little thing in the world around you feels so big mm-hmm. and so just exploring that and moving through it feels so like, joyful and glorious I really love the parts of the game where you're just sl- like sliding, sliding down mountains um, and then kind of the inverse of that at the end of the game when you're in the sky and going, you're going up and you keep bouncing on these jellyfish magic carpet things, mm-hmm. which for some reason throughout the entire game, I kept thinking a lot about Finding Nemo. No, that I makes feel sense. like the music reminds me of Finding Nemo too, and like jumping on these jellyfish things made me think about Finding Nemo even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though Finding Nemo is something where you know it's not abstract at all, it is still 
find like finding exploring this environment um but a lot of it of finding nemo is environmental right and a lot of the narrative is communicated even though most of that visual communication is just like wow there's nothing else here yeah. except for these fish but but it adds it's better than like if finding nemo took place in the world of shark tail <laughs> where there's just fucking things and product placement and jokes of the time it was made <laughs> just put everywhere and a car wash. Could you imagine Journey with product placement in it? Man. I'm reminded Journey of... Journey scored by Journey. Oh my god. Journey with a Journeys <laughs> inside of it. You, <laughs> you customize your scarf traveler I, uh, at Journeys. Think about... Uh, um, I think in the first half I talked about playing the battle, the early Battlefield games. Mm-hmm. I remember in Battlefield 2142, the futuristic battle yeah. Battlefield, there was product placement, but it was dated to like 2009 or whenever that game came out so there was there were billboards for the first Ghost Rider movie what, like, in 20 but in the fictional world of 2142 oh I thought you meant they would take things of the time it was made and then put it like Ghost Rider 55 no it was literally the first Ghost Rider movie with Nicolas Cage but oh just God. a billboard for it in 2142 so just imagine the desert of Journey but oh. with a billboard for like uh, I don't know I can't, I can't think of anything. I would love it, say. though, if back when the Battlefield, was it 2142? Mm-hmm. Back when that was made, if they put in advertisements for the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they had planned at that time. So they just had billboards for, like, Fantastic Four 85, <laughs> Ghost Rider 20, Punisher 3. The iPhone 69. Nice. Had to get that in. Had to. Had to do it to him. Uh... Okay, so we were talking about a little bit of this vague but incredibly precise like visual communication of the game mm-hmm. and the way that, that a lot of things are communicated through this, this game design. It reminded me a lot of this game that I played. I actually have it over there on the shelf. Uh, this game called Ico, which came out on the PS2, which maybe I pronounced that wrong. I don't know. It was made by Team Ico, which is part of Sony's Japan studio, mm-hmm. and they've made games like Shadow of the Colossus, which I think you're yeah. familiar with. Yeah, and I then, played it once. You did? But yeah, I still I, haven't played it. I have the 3D, but uh, I uh, the HD collection. Um, just I'm pretty familiar with it. I would, we should play that game though sometime. I want to play it. I want to play it though, just because it is such an important instrumental mm-hmm. game, and I keep hearing about it. And I want to play it. Also, they made this game called The Last Guardian. Do you know anything about that? I've heard of it. Yeah, people have been hearing about this game for like 10 years. It was supposed to come out on the PS3. It was the third game made by Team Ico. And it's basically... All their games have a very similar game design where they were kind of made as predecessors to the gray-brown shooter era that was like... Just the dudes in lots of jackets on the front cover. It was like that, but these were essentially (laughs) just very gray but incredibly well-made games. Mm -hmm. In, in essence, Ico is where there's no verbal, like, written language communication, and there's no... They don't even have the pop-ups that say, press this button. Mm-hmm. The game is 100% visual. There's no uh, there's no HUD, no, like, items on the screen telling you how much you have of health, how much you have of this, where you are on the map or anything. Mm-hmm. You're just exploring this environment, and there's this... You essentially wake up in this kind of prison in this weird, like, medieval fantasy society, and you're this kid that has, like, horns growing out of his head, and he was locked in prison, assumedly, for the horns on his head. And then there's a princess locked away in this tower. Essentially, the game is where you just drag her 
like it's kind of bad because it is an escort mission in the mm-hmm. sense that she can do nothing and you have to like defend her and drag her everywhere but you just kind of take her across this environment and explore this world with no no written communication no anything and it's really a powerful experience and a lot of people say that Shadow of the Colossus is the continuation and an evolution of it but the <clears> game obviously has a lot of inspirations from yeah. Ico and it reminded me a lot of it when I played it I actually played it yesterday after you'd already gone through and played it, just so I'd, I'd have more of a refreshed perspective to talk about. But I kind of feel like talking about this not these non-verbal games. There's a part of me that almost feels like kind of the perfect embodiment of what video games can be. You know, are, are opposite ends of the spectrum, like completely, totally text-based adventure games, or the very opposite journey, you know, which is not not verbal at all, mm-hmm. totally a visual environmental experience. Because both of those are very environmental experience in that in the text based adventure game, you know, the creator's use of text is what conjures a sense of space in mm-hmm. your mind. Whereas with journey it's totally visuals. And I don't really like having uh, you know, an uncomfortable middle ground where there are really awkward obtrusive cutscenes, or you have to choose the dialogue to say to somebody or yeah. that kind of stuff or the tutorials where another character teaches you i don't i did, that just feels i don't know after playing journey it just feels like it doesn't really make me want to play a lot of other games yeah because i know that so many of them are just kind of i mean there are a few that are pretty good so like rigid. You're, you're describing ones where they have this very like dense visual a mm-hmm. look in a visual and environmental universe that's very fleshed out, but also this very text-heavy and kind of choice-based thing. Right. Um, the Mass Effect series kind of embodies that where you... I mean, it kind of popularized and also uh, did... basically used and explored to death like the dialogue tree system mm-hmm. and the whole uh, either you're good or you're bad right. system because, I don't know, no one really does it anymore after Mass Effect especially because with Mass Effect the whole series is based on you making choices and you choosing to like different companions right. different people to put on your team That's, I mean I, I guess and, I did like that about Knights of the Old Republic I yeah. never played Mass Effect but the deal with Mass Effect though is that this whole series uh, across the three games your choices from the last game would be loaded into the next game and you'd have those oh, okay. people where you chose certain things and these people survived these people died that narrative mm-hmm. would continue on to the next one and in the third one, a lot of people were pissed because the the ending of the game, a lot of people felt like ended with one of three blanket choices. So you chose one of those three things and all the choices you made before that didn't matter mm-hmm. because you just were confronted with this one deciding ultimate choice that impacted everything. But then uh, after everybody stopped whining about it, people started comparing the different endings and the different people that were left on their team after all three games and they're like oh uh, this is a kind of different ending than you got so Mass Effect 3 kind of I feel like discouraged a lot of developers from using the dialogue tree system after they Mm -hmm. did it for three games and then uh, got a lot of people mad about it yeah I guess the thing for me is like I would rather do an action than Mm -hmm. have to sit there and weigh my options with these dialogue choices Mm -hmm. And things like that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I remember uh, when the, the Knights of the Old Republic games were coming out and playing those, and um, like the cool thing was that you could choose how good or how bad your character was, 
which was neat. But I, there's a part of me still that would ra- much rather have that be based totally on action and mm-hmm. not on dialogue. And you know, like in a mo- in the moment, you have the option of whether or not to, to like I don't know, rob somebody or not. Um, which then I feel like makes a more almost like morally compelling game. Yeah. Where you can see the consequences of being either good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but. One thing I don't like about games where there's this how good or how bad will you be thing mm-hmm. is whenever it's measured by statistics and it's very right. science. The morals right. are and the morality is very scientific, yeah, in a way, and just boiled down. Or it's to like this inhuman thing. Your humanity is measured by these inhuman digits and numbers, and you can break down like, oh, I need to do these many actions to get this ending. Well, then it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I have made a total of seven choices. Three of those choices were bad. Four of those choices were good. Therefore, I am more good than bad. Like, also, the concrete morality of it does say something about the people who made the game. Right, and I think it would be nice to... I mean, obviously, it would take a, you know, a lot more time and processing power, but to have game a game with more a more nuanced morality system. Almost something like... Uh, I think a really good example of it is Epic Mickey, where you have okay. the paint okay. or the paint thinner use the paint to create use the paint thinner to take away and i mean you can use either one in any moment and obviously like i don't know how you get away from the system of kind of the scale the shifting scale but i do think that is preferred to statistic preferable to statistics maybe mm-hmm. you know but that in the moment shifts and there are kind of moments where you sort of like don't have any other option where it's like you have to use the paint thinner in this moment you have to use the paint in this moment uh, but there's almost two to that game kind of an element of like Lego Star Wars where you can either like build stuff or break it apart mm-hmm. um, and kind of destroying in those games is a little bit rewarding because you get those pieces over and right over but at the same time I feel like in I don't know I feel like I mean in, in it, it's been a long time since I played Epic Mickey but you do kind of get the same kind of like reward from destroying things but at the same time it's like way more uh, rewarding to to be good and to paint things because the world when you go into it is kind of dark and falling apart but you can change that mm-hmm. um, so I think there was a game that I never actually ended up playing but from the uh, idea of it sounded interesting but I remember it getting really bad reviews and not being everything that it was promised to be uh, is a pandemic games game the, like you were a French resistance fighter called like Saboteur or something yeah I think. the Saboteur where it was kind of a similar, had a similar system, and I think they kind of compared it to uh, the Okami, uh, where you're kind of doing like bringing color yeah. to an area or something like that. But the game just like, I think that was a really neat idea, but um, they didn't seem to deliver on it yeah. from everything I heard about it. But I think that kind of just like totally action based, you know, not statistical not dialogue based you're just doing stuff mm-hmm. and then the consequences happen and you still keep having to make choices based on those consequences I like that a lot which I mean in a way uh, even though journey is not really about a moral based system does kind of lend itself more to that kind of game because mm-hmm. you are just wandering around and you can wander around in almost infinite directions mm-hmm. and you're game experience changes based on the direction you choose to wander in. Yeah. So. That reminds me of 
uh, just what you're talking about of bringing color to areas and mm-hmm. it's very more free-flowing or at least uh, a system that feels more naturalistic and right. more choices reminds me of uh, Flower, the game yeah. made previously to Journey by that game company. Which I realized in the first part it didn't clarify that the developers actually called that game company. I'm not just being vague about it. <laughs> um, but in Flower, you're just like a gust of wind picking up flower petals and going around. And as you like touch flowers and pick up their flower petals and you do that for a whole area, then mm-hmm. the grass will get green and the, the visuals kind of improve and reinforce you doing this. Even though that is the only mechanic in the game, and that's actually the story of the game, is you just going around and doing this because if you don't go around and get all the flowers and and, well I guess not all the flowers but if you don't go on this main path and pick up petals from every flower then you can't get through to the Mm -hmm. next area but there's some uh, areas that reward exploration where there are little groups of flowers and patches often distant areas that if you go and explore and you get those then you may get a different color of petal added to this petal trail you essentially have on your gust of wind but whenever I'm playing flower, I always find myself going to these different areas and trying to get every flower petal just so that. Yeah. Because it rewards, and it feels good whenever you right. go around and you unlock an area, and then it zooms out and just shows this burst of color happening. I feel like it's the, the like, that kind of game play is, I don't know, much more rewarding overall, and basically the inverse kind of of... Grand Theft Auto, you know, yeah. which I, I mean, I have always loved the Grand Theft Auto games and think they're really fun, but after a while, you kind of wear them out because the the most exciting thing about those games is not doing the missions necessarily, but just throwing your body around and seeing how much mayhem you can cause, and literally no one who plays Grand Theft Auto is going to actually play by the rules and follow the law and yeah. stop at every stoplight and never kill anybody because it's a totally impossible. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people, whenever, Grand Theft Auto always comes up, whenever people say this is the kind of game that doesn't need to happen at least right. in the way it, it discusses women or at least anything that deviates from the traditional binary, macho yeah. heterosexual heterosexual, uh, the traditional binary, macho heterosexual male mm-hmm. it even though when people say, oh, it rewards going around and killing people, it rewards uh, killing women, you only get to play as men, people will always say, oh, well, you know, whenever you do something, the police will chase after you. Yeah. But well, even that is... That that's just rewarding. causes more destruction because you're not going to stop and get arrested. Yeah, because then your game's over. Amp and it up until you die. Yeah. Or And it rewards being... Or it rewards getting away from the police because... Right the way that they kind of refine the shooting mechanics. Even though Rockstar game shooting mechanics are not that great, like playing Red Dead Redemption or playing Grand Theft Auto, it's not ever this experience where you say, oh man, that uh, felt really natural to shoot this gun, and it feels just the feedback that I'm getting in terms of uh, the way the screen looks or the way the controller vibrates or something like that. It feels like a gun or something like that. It never really feels good to shoot the guns, but whenever you're running away from the police there's this rush of you speeding in the car and the way that the screen like changes and the perspective right. changes. Uh, so, I, I don't know, whenever people say it doesn't reward committing these crimes and running away from the police, <clears throat> like, in a sense of, oh, the police are chasing you, That's that means that it's bad. That's the only way that it, it punishes you is that the police that you're taught your whole life to know not to run away from them. Right. And it, it also, I feel like in some way, I mean, I'm... 
I've I've kind of thought about this for a while, and I would be interested. I feel like someone should kind of do a study about this, but I particularly feel like I noticed this. I mean, I think you could apply this to all the games, but San Andreas is the one I've played the most, mm -hmm. and I've noticed this particularly because I played it some as a kid, and then I bought like a pack on Steam of a couple of the older games when I started college. So my freshman year of college was just like so much San Andreas in my dorm room, and I started to realize that like. This game, in a way, almost rewards, like, killing people who are of color and are minorities and are poorer more than, like, white businessmen. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's like, you go to the downtown district and run over a white old lady. Cops are instantly on you. But you go into a neighborhood, you know, you go to Grove Street, like, you can kill... Like, ten gang members and nothing happens. And then finally, something will happen, but still, it's like... And I feel like maybe you could say, oh, well, Rockstar's just trying to reflect reality, you know, because cops don't care. And, like, yeah, I guess, but at the same time, I feel like in the player, maybe it kind of, like, plants some kind of seed. I don't know, we're so far away from Journey. We are. But I, that's okay, I that's guess. That's fine. I don't know. I don't know if you, like, really cared about what we thought of Journey. There are plenty of reviews since 2012 about it. Yeah. So, I don't know. And, I, and at the end of the day, it's like, I've gotten so much fun out of San Andreas, but it's not a game that I can just play forever, and I haven't played in a while. And every time I do play it now, I will just, like, turn all the cheat codes on yeah. and just do some crazy stuff for like 30 minutes, I'm like, okay, I don't need to play this for another six months. So those kind of constructive games that almost in a way promote like, not good behavior, but more creative mm -hmm. behavior, just feel so much, like, I feel like a good, I feel good. Yeah, well that's the thing I was talking about with the emotion most video games promote is this power fantasy. Right. I guess is the only thing close to an emotion that they'll promote, but my history with Grand Theft Auto, I never played it. Like in the last episode, you talked about how you played it at a friend's house. I never had that. Mm -hmm. I would always have friends talk about playing it or their older brother would have it. But I never really played it. I played a little bit of 4 mm -hmm. a couple years after it came out. And then the only one that I really played all the way through was Grand Theft Auto Five. But my main complaint with 4 and the reason I didn't like it that much is because the whole world was obviously... I mean, a video game, the whole world's obviously constructed for the player to, to exist in because they're right. making a game for the player to play. But the world of Grand Theft Auto 4 felt like just a bunch of cereal box buildings that are empty on the inside. Yep. And then you just go around and the whole world is just filled with people that are just there for you to right. do stuff to. Yeah. And the missions, also the missions weren't fun. The whole game wasn't fun. I played maybe like five hours of it and I was like, this isn't good. Also, I missed out on the online community, but the whole online of the game is just inflicting things on the people of the town. I feel like the, city. the most rewarding possible version of Grand Theft Auto is almost kind of like... Lego Island. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> kind of, almost, but, well, I think I maybe, a few months ago, we were just talking about video games and stuff, and I suggested this idea, which, when I started talking about it, started as, like, Seinfeld the video game, mm -hmm. where it's just a video game where you're, like, in an apartment and it's about nothing, but it would just be like, you're in a neighborhood... And you're going around the neighborhood and you have no option to destroy or just like mess stuff up. But you just kind of go around like getting to know all these different people 
helping people. Yeah. Like you get a job, you just like do normal stuff. This which, sounds like RuneScape a little bit. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, it's like those are the those are like the game. Like that's really RuneScape is one of the big games I grew up on, and I remember like I like really working up the courage to try to ask my mom for a RuneScape paid membership just so I could garden and cook, you know, which is so weird to think about a kid wanting to virtually garden and cook. But just something about it, there was like, even separate from the level system and the stats, just something very rewarding to, to as a kid, be a, you know, a RuneScape homeowner and you have cultivated this thing and built this thing. So almost, yeah, just kind of a neighborhood version of, of RuneScape maybe. Or I think a game that wasn't that great and wasn't that successful, but I played a lot of just because I loved the idea so much. Something like Spore, where you do have this ultimate power in a way, but I don't know. I mean, it's evolution, yeah. the game. So you're just kind of like doing this creative, building this entire society from the cell up. I don't know. I feel like actually probably the positive version of Grand Theft Auto already exists in Minecraft. The way you're talking about how you felt weird with, or at least looking back on RuneScape with wanting to like own a home and garden, just do normal things. That's kind of what Minecraft is becoming where it's just this 100% creative, positive space. And of course there are people that come in and will destroy people's creations, but there's this kind of culture coming out of Minecraft of these people that are just building things. And in the game, there's ability... The New York Times wrote this, like, incredible piece on the Minecraft generation, is what they called it. And the way they talked about it made me stop making fun of Minecraft just (laughs) because, like, they have just the graphic tees at Kohl's. And it's actually, like, a really, really incredible thing. Just the way that they have all these tools in the game where they have, like, wiring and you can make... People have made... uh, like computers, very basic computers and calculators, like in the game of Minecraft. What? Yeah, that's people incredible. People have made these like incredible things, and people are like <laughs> learning about like circuitry, mm-hmm. and people are learning about computing systems and getting into colleges with Minecraft experience. So not just general Minecraft experience, but like somebody that this New York Times piece talked to <clears throat> is this student who just got accepted into college off of his YouTube channel. That's all Minecraft videos, like explaining how to like use the wiring to create different things in the game. Damn, somebody needs to give a scholarship to the uh, half A press. The half A press guy? Guy. There are already like happen. uh there are already athletic scholarships being given out at different colleges for League of Legends. Oh my god. And different games like that. I think it's UC Irvine that's giving like <sighs> their football level full ride academic scholarship for League of Legends players. That stresses me out. A little bit, kind of. but I mean um, and I guess Minecraft is like basically Lego you know, but just virtual and with even more potential because it is virtual. Yeah. So it does, and yeah, it's like at the end of the day, there's no satisfaction in destroying Lego and stomping on your creations. That's not fun. Mm. Like, building stuff is really neat. Yeah. So we were talking earlier, just a little couple mm-hmm. minutes ago, that kind of got this discussion about Grand Theft Auto and different experiences and types of experiences. Uh, Journey does this thing where we were saying it's not about destruction, it's about kind of just exploring, finding things out. And you also talked about the multiplayer of the game. And in Grand Theft Auto, as we were saying, the multiplayer and even just the gameplay is about kind of, even though it's not discreetly 
or explicitly said, the gameplay is about inflicting things on others. Mm-hmm. Even the missions of the story are about kidnapping somebody, are about taking people's money, are about yeah. killing people. The multiplayer in Journeys probably some of the best multiplayer I've ever played because there's no way to communicate with the people. The only actions you can do in the game are like move, jump, and use your little beacon to activate things and progress further. And every time I've played Journey, the multiplayer experience has always been really great where someone comes in and they'll always like use their little sound to say, hey, come over here, follow me. I'm gonna show you how to get one of the collectibles that extends your scarf that lets you like fly longer. Or I'm gonna show you to this secret area where you can unlock one of like the tapestries that tell more of the story so you get maybe the trophy if you get all of them. It's always a very positive experience. What was it like for you? Because you knew about it before you went in, but you, I guess, had never played it before. Right. Well, I just, I, I knew about it, but I also, like, when the game started, I kind of just had forgotten about that. And then I ran into this person, and for a second I was like, wait, is this an NPC or something? Mm-hmm. And I was oh, no, this is an actual person. Um, and in some way, I don't know, I feel more connected to that person that I really ever have in a multiplayer system mm-hmm. because even though it is very jar- jarring when the game ends and it tells you the names of the people you met and it could be like... I mean, it's like a generic m- online ID right. where it could be like Assman225. <laughs> yeah, and so that kind of makes for a weird experience. After you have this incredible like experiential visual storytelling yeah. moment... Uh, that's incredibly rewarding and moving. You'll see Ass Man two two five. But I've never really, except safe for RuneScape, never had kind of positive relationships come out of MMOs. Usually, it's just like, or not just not just MMOs, but just games and multiplayer stuff in general. And usually, it's just this person is trying to kick my ass mm-hmm. and make fun of me and call me a bunch of slurs. You know, and also I really like how it strips the 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 other players of any personality, so I don't feel weird about the fact that this might be like a twelve year old. Yeah. You know, and it's just everyone is kind of just androgynous and neutral. Yeah. Well, which they, I, look, they look the same as you, pretty much. Right, and so I think that makes Journey just like a good, very safe space. Which is almost in some ways uh, kind of the antithesis of the potentially empowering things about video games in that it allows you to shape your identity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel like you, like, I recently went to um, uh, an academic media studies conference and there was a person giving a paper about how, like, queer theory in relation to video games and how certain video games kind of allow you to forge your identity. So that allows you to first exploring your identity in the virtual realm, then explore your actual physical identity. But Journey is like the total opposite of that because you can't customize at all. I mean, you can't, you know, the person I met who's more experienced had, you know, had a really long scarf and was wearing like a white cloak because they were just a really great player. Well, that comes with well, in the game, there are these different glowing symbols that you mm-hmm. find that extend your scarf, so they give right. you more ability to fly. Whenever you get all of them, 
uh, whenever you play the game again, you can activate this white costume mm -hmm. so that basically people know that this person's played it enough to right to to get all those collectibles. So that's really the only way you can differentiate differentiate yourself is like how good you are at the game. Mm -hmm. So it to like everyone is just kind of yeah. you know you don't really have a unique identity, but it also your relationships to other players become much more positive mm -hmm. because of that. Because it's not about trying to beat somebody. You're just trying to help them. And the second person I met up with in the game, when I first met them, my scarf was a little bit longer than theirs. But then we got attacked by one of those flying monster laser shooting things mm -hmm. that pop up every once in a while, which take your scarf yeah. away. And so we both ended up at the same level. And then eventually... I accidentally kind of left them behind, mm -hmm. and we were, but we were both kind of at the same skill level, so we weren't didn't really have like a mutually beneficial relationship, as I did with the person I met up with earlier. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It just m makes it for me as a player really nice, and it's really nice to have an actual person helping me through the game as opposed to just this tutorial bot who's like, do this, do that, okay, now you're ready to go. Yeah. Uh, which always gets annoying and feels to me like the Microsoft Word paperclip dude. Yeah, who just like Clippy coming up like, yeah. oh, do you need some help with this? Are and you, I'm bad? Like, Are you no. bad at this game? You know, it, you know I, don't, I don't like that. I, this was just, it was nice. It, yeah. was, it was really nice. Yeah, and even when there's that differentiation of the person having the white cloak with the big scarf saying, oh, I've played this game plenty of times, I'm playing mm -hmm. it again, I'm so good at it. The experience has never come with that entitlement and that kind of, it's just, the experience has never come with that entitlement right. it's, it's, of, of somebody just rushing through the game saying, oh, I don't need you, I'm gonna do all this. Every time that I've played, and I've only played, I've probably played less than 10 times, but it's a really simple, easy game to play that's, that's short. But anytime that I've run in to one of the people on the white scarves, they're always incredibly helpful, always just showing you all these things. Yeah, there's no point to just playing the game to rush through it mm -hmm. and be like, look at how good I am. You know, there's no point in doing a speed run of Journey. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess one video game I didn't mention that I did play a fair amount of, but I was always really bad at it. And I mean, this game is totally basically online, so being bad at it wasn't good, and there basically was no way to become good if I wasn't good naturally at it. Team Fortress 2, yeah. it's like, you go on there and you're just like, why am I even playing this after a while? Because yeah. these people have been playing it since the Orange Box came out, and they're amazing, and they're just going to kill me instantly, yeah. and I'm never going to do anything, and I'm never going to be able to get better because the moment I respawn, I'm going to die. And so it just becomes this like very kind of aggressive masculine competition where everyone's just trying to one-up and make it basically impossible to play and not fun yeah. for anyone who does want to play, which Grand Theft Auto has that same kind of thing. I mean, really, any of the big online multiplayer yeah. communities are going to be like that. But Journey, it's all about helping. And yeah. there's not even really a reward to helping other people. It's just the point of the game yeah. is to be a good person. Yeah, I've played Team Fortress 2, uh, Team Fortress 2 a few times and every time I play, there's always this, because it seems fun, and the visuals, yeah. I think, are, it has a nice visual style and everything. And it has this very active online community, but anytime that I get on to play, there's always this almost insurmountable level of pretext and experience yeah. that you need to be able to play the game. And no one really wants to help out, and there's no real explanation for the different classes. It's just kind of assumed, like, oh, this person knows how to play the game. Right. But with Journey and... 
Journey's, again, on the opposite side of that spectrum, where instead of inflicting things on players and inflicting this power, like in Grand Theft Auto as well, the only thing you can do to other players is use your, your I guess, sound beacon, your yeah. chirp, and that can recharge their scarf and give them a little bit more like ability to fly. And really the only feedback for that is whenever people do it back to you. And there's just kind of reciprocal, uh, there's just kind of reciprocation of that helping each other. Yeah. Just because there's no voice chat, there's no name above them, and they look just like you. I mean, it. I made this comparison earlier kind of jokingly, but it really does feel like the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind to me, where you have the humans and aliens communicating just through music, and they don't really know what they're saying to one another. You know, they're just kind of playing these notes and improvising based off of this melody that the aliens originally kind of gave. But it, humans. Seems, it seems like there's a will to communicate and a will right. to cooperate. Exactly, which is what Journey is in it. I mean, there were, there were moments where we were both fully charged, but just kind of running around, like, making noises at each other. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to see if, like, what would happen if I changed the frequency and the intes- intensity of the noises. You know, how would they respond? Um, and so we weren't even saying anything to each other, but it was still just like... This person acknowledges me and validates me, and I'm not just following them around and tagging along. Like, they are actually wanting to help me and kind of reciprocating what I'm giving to them, which is really, really, really positive. Yeah, it's probably, as I said earlier, the best multiplayer experience I've ever mm-hmm. had, which is weird because it's stripped of almost all interaction other than the pure existence or I guess the pure coexistence yeah. just in the same space but everything else and every other part of identity is stripped away so you just kind of assume the best because they don't have a chance to yell or racial slur at yeah you. there's no way to have a parasitic relationship mm-hmm. you know I mean the only way too is just for you to run way ahead of them and then maybe you drop out of out of their games yeah I mean and you know, the relationship may not be mutually beneficial, you know, because if you're a totally new player, you may not know how to help them, and they probably don't need your help. But still, it's like they're doing that because they want to do that, uh, and they're helping you because they want to help you. So it's not something where, I don't know, it's it's just this much more sustained good feeling, and it puts you in a good headspace, whereas, like, you know, you may get that power rush like we've been talking about very briefly because, oh, I'm on some superficial level better at this game than everyone else. But that... It doesn't give you that, a chance to inflict that power or that that better ability. Yeah, that power only lasts as long as you're in the game. Yeah. And as long as you're, it's your turn and it's this round, you know. Um, and there could be someone out there who's better than you and who will then inflict that pain on you. And at which point you try to just inflict more pain on other people because you're trying to assert how much better you are. Yeah, you're trying to level up and get another round with better better guns and stuff. And that's that's also one thing that... I I mean, there is sort of a level system in Journey where you, you know, make your scarf longer, but it's not really a point of... You know, sh- you know, you're not trying to show off, really. You're not trying to brag. It just makes the game easier to play. Whereas there's always like, I don't know, I, level systems. I mean, in one sense, are essential to a lot of games. But I don't. I like that journey. The process of learning is very natural, and it's not 
you did this thing, now you're level two, now you can do this, boom, 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 now you get this extra gun. It's just, now you can jump a little bit more. You're just going to keep going. And even if you didn't level up, you could still play the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might be a little more difficult, but you could still make it through the game. It's just, you know, not quite as easy. Okay. So, what part of the game, or what parts of the game, stick out in your memory the most? And can you give maybe an explanation of why that's, like, one of the memories you took away from, from Journey? Um... I mean, really, like, the the big part of the game that I think hit the hardest with me was, uh, actually, okay, there are two points. There's one point kind of more towards the end of when you're in the desert and before you go underground, um, where I was just in this area and just, like, sliding down the dunes. You know, and it almost, I feel like it turns into, like, SSX mm-hmm. or something and basically becomes this just snowboarding game. But you're not even trying to race. You're just going. Yeah. Which I feel like is kind of a perfect metaphor for the game itself. It's just all action without any really, like, big intent. You're not trying to get anything. You're just doing. Mm-hmm. And you're just totally existing in the space of the action. Um and just something about it was so just that, and I wasn't even really doing anything. I was just letting the game like do the thing that I had enacted because I started the the process of going down this hill, but then it became this just totally natural reaction, this kind of Newtonian thing. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite parts actually about that section is that as you go through the desert, the colors go from this very light tan. To this more gold, right? And as you're going the down this hill, shining. the sun setting, and it starts to turn away from this gold and, and kind of richer color palette to this almost like burnt or fake gold, mm-hmm. and then the shadows become this purple, and it almost becomes one bit where it's only two color options on the entire screen, where either it's purple or it's orange, mm-hmm. and then you just make that jump and yeah. go down down to the underground section. And I mean, the other part that had the biggest impact on me was kind of similar at the end of the game when you're going up and you get to the top of this mountain and you're like going through waterfalls and stuff and bouncing on the carpet things and floating and just it's just this like glorious ecstatic moment. You know, it's not like, I don't know, the end of a really conventional game where you're like, I don't know, like Super Smash Bros. where you're standing on a platform and you get, you're like, yeah, number one. Yeah. You know, your reward is still built into the game. Your your reward is the ability to move through this beautiful place. And it comes right after that desolate snow level. Right. You talked about being so frustrating, which I can understand on part of the developer them wanting to make it frustrating to communicate that struggle and that part of the narrative through it, but also... It is just difficult and not. Fun yeah, to it does kind of get. It does kind of get annoying when you're just blown back by the wind for the tenth time. Um, but I mean, you get through it, and then you just have this beautiful moment, and the sun is shining, and you're just in the air, um, and like that's the prize of the game. Mm-hmm. So, did either of those moments have another person there with it? Uh, the first one sort of did, but I wasn't really, like, 
we weren't really like sliding together. Yeah. It was just like, oh, this guy's kind of behind me. Every once in a while, I'll see him. The last moment didn't. By that point, I was just by myself. Um, which, if there had been somebody there, that would have been neat. But it yeah. didn't really matter that much to me. Which was cool that this. I feel like this is a game that because it kind of. I don't know, there's no... I mean, obviously it's single player and that there's no split-screen option or anything like that. And they don't really impact the end goal of the game. Right. But but it weaves in and out of single and multiplayer, which I really like. Um, that it is a game that almost teaches the value of solace mm-hmm. um, and becomes this kind of meditative experience. And you become fine being by yourself in the game yeah. and being completely alone and it just becomes this very rich rewarding experience one thing that I've noticed with my playthrough of the game when I've, I've played it the past couple times or actually just any time that I've played it mm-hmm. is that it never feels the same each time because of the multiplayer experience I've always found that any memory I have of the game is usually shaped through that multiplayer experience, whether somebody was in my game for a second, but then one of us was just going at a different speed than the other person, or maybe they had to go somewhere or something like that, and they drop out of the game, and so you remember that the person's not there anymore. Right. Or when I actually played it uh, yesterday so that I could refresh my memory and lead up to, that ex- uh, to this conversation, I played through the whole game with one person the whole time, and there would be moments where we might like lose each other or I'd think, oh, this person left. It's not there. They had to go somewhere else or they were moving at a different pace than I was. But then they'd come back in. And I would think it was a different person, but at the end of the game I saw in my companion list, it only had one name on it. Yeah. So it was a very, I don't know, a very interesting experience. And, and I don't, it's just difficult to describe as we Yeah, it's, about. it is kind of hard to describe, but I feel like you've built... You know, kind of like we said, even though you haven't created a relationship, per se, with this person because you haven't actually really communicated, it does feel like I have, in whatever weird way, more of an emotional connection with this person than any other really multiplayer experience, almost ever. Just because it's not about, like you said, inflicting anything on them or asserting my power and dominance over them. You know, I mean, it was, it's, I mean, RuneScape, you kind of have the ability to, you can kill people and fight people and people are mean and say mean things to you sometimes, but I also like built friendships with people and we would go, you know, smelt and mine together and like do constructive, creative, in a way, things together. Yeah. Um, and even though, I mean, there were people that I became friends with on RuneScape partially because we just randomly encountered each other and then found we had like similar interests uh, it was more it was still a lot of times about the action uh, because I don't know it just creates this kind of hangout space which in a way journey is uh, hangout space with people you've never met and can't talk to and will never encounter again probably um, it's just a very nice atmosphere I don't know it sounds like you liked it I did like it a lot I'm very happy about it's the most beneficial video game experience that I've had in a long time just because I mean I don't currently own a console so my video game experience is mostly limited to just like 
playing games with other people, which is generally means playing Smash. Yeah, I feel like with playing other people, cooperative, and right? And I'm and I'm all I'm the worst. Like I said earlier, the worst at Smash and generally bad at all kinds of those games. Uh, so I don't really get anything out of it yeah. at all. And this was totally different than that. So that's good. So. We've kind of talked about the game. I guess the only way that I know how, which is comparatively with other games, because it is so different and such a refreshing experience that I can really only talk about it in terms of games like Grand Theft Auto and these big power fantasies. Yeah. Um, but then also, we talked about games that I didn't even think of in comparison yeah. to it, like Epic Mickey and <laughs> Okami, and these games that reward this... Creative. Creative, and sometimes yeah. even that, that cooperative... Thing. And we also talked about those games that are in that gray area, like RuneScape, where there are communities built in it, but then there's it all it takes is just one person coming in right. and just messing up all your stuff. But I don't know. I feel like this is a pretty good conversation about Journey. Yeah. It may have been a little repetitive at parts, but it's just... Went in some interesting directions. Yeah. That I didn't it expect definitely went in some non-Journey directions. Yeah. So I guess... Quite that, a journey, this yeah. conversation has been. God damn it. Um, do you have anything, uh, any information... If you're on that you'd like to plug, anything you'd like to say? Um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Trillmore Girls. That is Trill with two L's. Mm-hmm. Not like the show with one L. Wow. Uh, you know, like Gilmore Girls. Oh, Only has one L. I, I do, thought you did, meant there was a show called Trill with just one no, L. No, I did include both L's in my Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a podcast that I'm on pretty regularly called Cinematary. It's about movies. Uh, I'm on there most weeks, I think. I do it with some other folks. So check that out at cinematary.com. Um, that's about it that's that it. I have to plug. Okay. Closing up the plug bag. Wow, unplugging. <laughs> unplugging video. God. Uh, well, I guess uh, me... God, I'm good at talking. This is going to be edited. So I'm uh, Seth Shepard. You can find me on Twitter at ASAP Sunscreen. You can also find all the Whiny Boys hashtag content at, uh, at Whiny Boys on Twitter. And just some quick notes. I forgot last episode to thank our friend Ben, who's at Cat Food Party on Twitter. He made the music for the podcast. And also our friend Ross at Ross with four S's, then an underscore, then an L. I don't know why his Twitter is still that. He's talking about changing it, but he doesn't. But anyway, Ross made the artwork for the podcast. So I just wanted to thank them really quick. And uh, I guess that's it. That's it. Now we're going to journey out into the real world. Oh, dang. Dang. If anyone wants to play Journey, at me on Twitter. (laughs) I love introducing (laughs) this game to people. It's great. But I guess that's it. Yeah. There you go. I've guessed it's it uh, quite a few times this episode. (laughs) 